The following is an interview with a non-offending pedophile, an adult male in his 20s from the U.S. Some listeners may find parts of this conversation disturbing. His name and voice have been changed for this interview. Right in the beginning of our discussion, you'll hear him referencing a previous email interview that I did with another non-offending pedophile, and he actually reached out to me because of that. I'll link it in the podcast notes so anyone who wants to read it for extra context can just look it up there. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, (laughs) ever controversial or impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode 21. This is going to be a break from the usual topics of religion and politics. I started off as a blogger on sexuality, and I want to definitely include that aspect of my work in the podcast, too. As someone who's spoken about childhood sexual abuse and with victims of it, as someone who has campaigned for more awareness and understanding of this subject, I want to discuss a topic that's not talked about often, a difficult thing to discuss, but one that could really have an impact on protecting children. And that is the subject of non-offending pedophiles. I know, I know, some of you are wincing just at the very term. I completely understand and relate to the desire to brush this discussion under the carpet so as not to deal with a hard topic like this. But I truly think it's in everyone's benefit to overcome that and at least start this conversation. I have with me today a non-offending pedophile who we're going to call John. He's someone I've actually known just on the internet, and we've had many positive discussions on other topics before. So when he came out to me, it was a difficult thing for me to process. And it's it's not just some random anonymous person on the internet. It's someone I had had meaningful interactions with. And uh, I'll let him explain how this all came about, but first let me give you the official definition of pedophile that I came across. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders defines a pedophile as someone who has recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child or children. To be diagnosed with pedophilia, the person must experience these symptoms for at least six months and feel serious distress from the sexual urges and fantasies. Anyway, thank you, John, for joining us. Uh, can you explain uh, how this all came about, how we, how we got to talking about the fact that you're a non-offending pedophile? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, thanks for having me on. Um, what happened was I rather belatedly read the email interview you did with another non-offending pedophile. And I could understand why you said a lot of the things you said and took the line you took, uh, especially because I felt like the person you were talking to was, had probably like over-normalized their condition to themselves. They seemed like they had a lot of jargon. They probably spent a lot of time on message boards. So they really were a creep. But I also thought that you took a, a, a more moralistic tone than was helpful and said some things that I didn't think were accurate. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you're someone I respect, uh, that upset me. And so I reached out. Do you mind if I, if I read out some of the, the message that you sent me? Go ahead. So this is what you, uh, this is what you sent to me. This is an aspect of myself that I'd prefer to lock away, so I don't really bother being scholarly about it. I want to say that you're very brave for doing said interview. Most people won't even touch this topic. Second, I think that frankly this exchange was an utter failure. This is first and foremost because your chosen interlocutor was a total creep. This is not your fault. 
almost no one is willing to talk about these issues, so you chose the guest you had. The second reason I was dissatisfied with this block of text was because of your constant, and in my opinion, unhelpful interjections of disapproval. Without a doubt, your interlocutor said plenty of things that needed to be challenged, but you diluted the value of your critique by expressing anger at this person's very existence. That is frankly unfair and a failure of empathy. But given how creepy the pedophile you talked to was, I don't blame you. All the shit about not being worth worrying about, and especially about being better with children, is pure horse shit, and you were right to call it out. But by having this conversation with someone so easy to criticize, I feel like you've caricatured this problem. So here's the confession. I am a non-exclusive, non-offending pedophile. This means I have never and would never assault a child and am also attracted to people my own age. I understand that you're very uncomfortable with this topic and I get that, but at the same time I feel completely misrepresented by the conversation you posted. I don't want my own sexual desires to be normalized. They are a pathology full stop, but I also think it's frankly cruel to constantly apply moral condemnation to people unlucky enough to be born with these desires. You don't condemn schizophrenics for hearing things wrong. You shouldn't condemn non-offending pedophiles for having a malfunctioning arousal instinct. Your moralized condemnation of pedophiles accomplishes as little as a condemnation of people with cancer. I and many people like me are saddled with a disease and you constantly saying we're disgusting and evil doesn't help. I have never assaulted anyone and I never will. I am a person extremely concerned with ethics and moral philosophy. I feel constant guilt for not donating all of my discretionary income to charity, so the idea of actively harming a child is unthinkable. I'm not a monster. I just have this weird issue that I can easily handle, and you calling me disgusting hurts. I really do think that your position here is bigoted. Basically, there's a certain group of people with a certain mental health problem who you seem to be telling to fuck off and die, and that they are less than human. Now, we we talked about this a little bit, and you you said to me that you got yourself a little bit worked up. Uh, I I certainly didn't tell this group to fuck off and die. That's why I had the whole interview exchange with that guy in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I I, I recognize that, and I recognize that's the only conceivable reason why you would bother to touch a topic as toxic as this. So, yeah, I mean, some of the uh, profanity and some of the extreme sentiments were the result of uh, emotional distress. Yeah. But overall, you know, I, I agree with most of what I said still. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I do have a, probably a bigoted position towards pedophiles, like, without a doubt. And... Um, I can't fully blame myself for that because whether offending or non-offending, it still seems threatening to one of the most vulnerable groups in the population, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't particularly blame you either. And, you know, blame is probably a word that's going to come up in the concept that's going to come up a lot here. But uh, I, I don't blame you, but I don't think it's helpful. Uh, yeah, per perhaps you're right. We'll we'll see. Um, I also don't think that uh, I said that they were all just evil or something because my position on this has been that we should try to make a distinction between child molesters and pedophiles. Mm -hmm. And pedophiles are not necessarily child molesters. They just have these desires and they don't necessarily act on them. And if we can give people that want to not act some sort of um, support system, mm -hmm. then that is better for everyone, I think. But I don't think that normalization is a fair thing to ask for. If normalization means what your uh, previous interviewee seemed to be implying, which is that like you could just walk around and you know tell everybody you know, tell your boss, and you know just like wear it on your on your cuffs like that doesn't make any sense to me i don't know why anyone would want to do that and i don't think that's a reasonable thing to expect from people um what i would want is just for it to be treated like a mental health problem it's probably something that you should keep private but uh but yeah so i agree that if that's what normalization means then it shouldn't be normalized 
Right. But what about like if you're telling someone that understands that it's a, a you know a problem that you can't control, um, but they still don't feel comfortable letting you babysit, for example. I mean, I don't think that they can be blamed. No, no. And, you know, that's probably not the uh, first job that someone with a condition like this should apply for. I don't actually know, you know, what the risk statistics are, but I certainly wouldn't blame someone for having that reaction, whatever the, you know, whatever the, the situation is. Right. So, I mean, that is bigoted, though, right? Like, that's anti-pedophile bigotry because they may not necessarily act on their desires, but you're still going to treat them like um, like they will if you want to be protective of your kids, which which most people are very, very rightfully protective of. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it may still technically qualify as, as bigotry, but, like, that's so far down my, my list of concerns, I guess, that it's not really something I'm, I'm super worried about. I'm mainly worried about, like, emotional, social, and uh, maybe even, like, legal barriers to people getting professional help if they think they need it. So, you know, whether or not they can get a, a babysitting job isn't something I'm really going right. to focus on. Yeah. And the person that I interviewed before, which was just over email, so I didn't get to have a, a proper conversation with him mm-hmm. because I guess text just leaves out a lot of emotion and uh, it makes it harder to empathize. Sure. Um but the guy was, as you said, quite creepy because he did try to normalize it. He did try to make it like, why should I be ashamed of this at all? Like, I wouldn't want to change this for anything. If I'm remembering correctly, he made little winky faces and, you know, made phrases yeah, yeah. like, you know, coming out of the toy box instead of coming <laughs> out of the closet. It was it was really nauseating to me to hear that. Yeah, that was the emojis and all the jargon really like I think probably made me about as sick as it made you, honestly. <laughs> OK, well, that's that's good. I mean, this this conversation has been one that I can't stop thinking about like the fact that we're about to have it I probably sound nervous and it's weird because I I mean this is a very hard topic for me to talk about um I'll, I'll add a link to the previous interview for anyone that wants to read it but but yeah so we're gonna do our best to get through this I know I might get you know unnecessarily emotional or you know not be completely rational the whole time but this is just one of those things you know why is it that people get like that when it involves kids it's because they're kids mm-hmm. right it's very hard for me to think that um even if you're not offending you might be fantasizing or whatever about someone that isn't old enough sure sure right um, that's Completely understandable. Uh, you know, one thing that distinguishes me, and really it's just a way in which I'm lucky from your previous guest, is that I'm not exclusive. So mm-hmm. this isn't the only like outlet or like target of like my sexuality. So if you know what you're imagining is that I'm just constantly sitting around thinking about this, that's inaccurate. Yeah. Mostly, what it is is that if I see something out in the world, you know, trying to leave this vague to be as non-disturbing as possible, I might have an intrusive thought that I just try to ignore and squish and go on with my day. When you say you're not exclusive, would you say it's like 50-50 or you're more attracted to people your own age or? I don't know if I could like put an overall like more or less on it. I guess I just feel like the age range at which I it's possible for me to find someone attractive starts sooner than it should, if that makes sense. How soon is that? Uh, Probably uh, like 10 to 13. Okay. And does it correlate with your kind of orientation with adults? Like, I'm completely Uh, clueless about this, so I'm no expert. I'm sorry to anyone who knows more about this than me if I'm asking stupid questions, but... Well, uh, as you indicated in the uh, message of mine that you read, I don't really know anything about it either from a clinical perspective. But yes, it does. So I'm straight, and that carries over. So I'm only attracted to girls. And when did you notice that this, this was a thing? Like, how old were you? What was your response? 
Um, probably when I was 13 or 14, I noticed that I didn't stop finding people attractive that, you know, were in the lower age brackets. And, uh, initially I just didn't really have any idea what to do with it. But, you know, as I got a little bit older, I recognized it for what it is and then just sort of, uh, accepted that that was a thing I was going to have to deal with. How did it make you feel when you first realized this? Um, honestly, it probably bothers me more now than it did then just because, you know, I'm an adult now. So I have like a more full suite of concerns when I'm 14. It's really hard to, uh, I don't know that that was not, I had so many things going on, you know, I was going through, you know, puberty and, you know, high school and everything else. So I just, I don't know that I really had that many feelings about it at the time, but, uh, the older I get, the more it, uh, it's something I don't like about myself, but I think I still am fairly pragmatic about it. I guess I try not to, I mean, if I don't want other people to demonize me, I I should try not to demonize myself, which Mm -hmm. is hard sometimes, but, uh, mostly, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a problem. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that because when you're a kid, that age difference isn't even that pronounced. But Mm -hmm. as you grow older, it becomes a bigger and bigger age difference. Um, And this is what really drove the point home for me, too. So, like, I think I read an interview somewhere or a woman who talked about meeting a 16-year-old non-offending pedophile and how he was... how he was very depressed and he didn't have anyone to reach out to. And I thought to myself that he's a kid too. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me feel sad for him. And that was really the first time that I had considered that. And then I started thinking more and more about it, that yes, there must be other kids in this position and they have uh-huh. nowhere to go. They have nowhere to turn to. They have no information on how to deal with this. And is that really helpful? I mean, aren't we failing as a society to even protect kids, kids that are discovering they are? non-offending pedophiles and want help and kids that could be affected by people who don't get help so i do think it's very important to as uncomfortable as it is to develop something around this i think germany has and i've heard both things i've heard positive and negative things but definitely more positive than negative i've even heard like you know victims of severe um child molestation, parents of victims who were murdered, uh, advocating for the program. So, uh, I mean, if people who who have been affected that awfully, where they have lost the life of someone they love because of this, are saying that we need to offer help, then then why can't we listen to them? Absolutely. There is a cognitive dissonance there, though, right? I can't help but thinking both things at the same time that it makes me uncomfortable and that we need to offer help sure sure and i i I think that it's unreasonable to expect that that discomfort is ever going to go away for the majority of the population and what i'm really concerned about is which voice you listen to when you know you're voting on policy mm-hmm. you know it's 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 completely fine to me for people to be personally uncomfortable with this i mean i'm personally uncomfortable with it so that all I, all i'm really concerned about is that when we're trying to you know construct society and design policy we be pragmatic and consequentialist rather than retributive do you feel that um if you came out to people that you cared about, that you, they would like cut off communication with you, or well, I uh, I actually don't have to speculate because I have done that to uh, a few of my closest friends, and uh, for them, I'm in a, a very unique situation socially. Uh, the majority of my friends are very empathetic people. They're generally pretty intelligent. Uh, consequentialists uh you know they're they're it and we've known each other for a very long time so it it was actually fine and uh i told them because i've i've uh i'm a fan of this show and i've told a lot of people about it and you know i figured it'd be better for me to tell them than them just to 
hear it on the episode and their chief concern was that I protect my anonymity. So it actually went pretty well, I would say. That's, yeah, that's not what I would expect. Like what kinds of reactions did you get from some of your close friends? Like shock? What was Um, the instant reaction? uh, The instant reactions have mostly been, uh, well, in person, you you can detect a little bit more of you know a little bit of surprise or uh, discomfort, but uh, the people I told over uh, uh, text message before because we're not in the same place. Uh, the first response I got was uh, someone saying, "You know, I'm not going to judge you. You know, I'm pretty sure I've said before that I think we should treat this like a mental health problem." Germany, so you know, I just hope you get the support you need. So, was uh, wow, actually, yeah, no, no, I'm I, I have a very unusual group of friends, yeah. I think you're very lucky because I, I think a lot of people would want to would envy that situation because they live in this with this alone, right? And that must be a burden, that must be hard. I imagine at some point you thought probably you had to as well, that's why you only recently told your friends, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I am incredibly lucky. The first two people I told, I think I was uh, 21, and I already had some indications uh, from them just based on other conversations I heard them have that they might be sympathetic. But yeah, I have been incredibly lucky. Have you ever told like a sexual partner? I mean, you have meaningful sexual relationships with adults adult women right yeah that's correct um i've only told one person i was i was dating and that was actually the first person i dated when i was 15 years old and uh that did uh (laughs) that didn't go well to say the least but uh what what happened well uh they actually, they basically sort of like dragged it out of me, and then how did they do? How did they do that? Like, did they have a clue from before? Or um, well, they basically, I mean, so you know, I, I was a pretty awkward kid, and uh, this is the first girl who'd ever like shown any interest in me, so I was pretty pliable. But uh, basically, she just kept like asking for like darker and darker secrets, and then like seeming to respond positively like the worse it was so mm-hmm. eventually we got to that one mm-hmm. but uh she initially convinced me that it was totally fine uh and then when things went sour she held it over my head so didn't go well and i haven't repeated that mistake uh did that make you like clam up for a while and not trust anyone with that information yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever tried to seek professional help about this? Uh, not about this specifically. I've seen psychiatrists for various issues, but uh, this is—it's. I know you know. I know it's going to be really hard to take my word for this, but it's really something that where I'm not concerned with the like possibilities of my own behavior. Like it's really unthinkable to me to act on this. And if I felt like there was even the tiniest, you know, chink in that self-control, I would immediately seek help. But at this point, I just think it would be a lot of traumatic conversations to avert something that is not going to happen. What makes you so sure that you wouldn't? I mean, how can other people trust that? How, how do we, get that across well to the same extent that you could or couldn't trust me not to sexually assault anyone i was attracted to right so in this subgroup of people i'm attracted to any sexual contact is sexual assault right yeah and i i mean maybe we and this this could definitely be the case we have a society where you know some huge percentage of people or at least of men would sexually assault anyone if they could get away with it and children are just you know less powerful they have fewer resources but that's that's not who i am and more easily manipulated i think that's the one that i worry about is that they can be groomed and tricked and you know so it's not really the same as 
assaulting an adult woman because she wouldn't be as easily manipulated. Do you understand what I'm? Yeah. Hearing? Yeah. It's not the same strategically, but it's the same morally to me. So, mm. or worse. So. Yeah, definitely worse because, well, I hate to categorize these things. Right. I mean, assault is assault. Yeah. But when you prey on someone more vulnerable, it is worse, I guess. So another thing that um, that I wanted to talk about was situational pedophiles, is that they're not necessarily only aroused by children, but it's about power for them. And mm. so they will they will target the kids when they're in the situation to be able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard it described as a pedophilia as an orientation, and I've also heard the pushback against that. And I can understand, like, um, if this is just, like, some kind of cross-wiring or malfunction of uh, the arousal instinct, then maybe... You can describe it as an orientation, but what bothers me about that is how it looks comparatively to other orientations that have been wrongfully demonized that involve consent, mm-hmm. right? And and in the past, um, like in the 70s or whatever, pedophile groups did try to use this growing support for LGBT to kind of have the same going on for them, Right. Right, right. Which is what which is what really bothers me when when the term orientation is used. I mean, I could be completely ignorant, and probably um, someone far more progressive than me <laughs> would tell me that um, you know it's wrong, and you should be open minded about this. Like I've heard um, a lot of really open minded ideas about how we can <sighs> for me to talk about this about how we can um, like provide materials that wouldn't harm living okay. children, per se, mm-hmm. um, to satisfy people's desires, which would then curb, curb them. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me really um, almost dizzy to think of that because even though there's no no one living involved if it's just like animation or uh you know someone suggested robots or i mean mm-hmm. so there's people far more open-minded than me about it um i'm probably going to get criticism from that from that direction I don't know how many people are in that camp, but uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see the response. Uh, as far as the word orientation, uh, you're not you're not going to get any pushback there from me. Uh, to like to me, like what makes something a disorder is that it's harmful, and one would be better off without it. So yes. I'm perfectly happy to to classify it that way. Whatever the you know. Whether or not there's in some sort of analogous underlying neurology, I, I don't really care. Like it's it's a it's a problem, and I'm happy to call it a problem. And I would never want to like stigmatize or sort of like poison the well for other people. And you know, of course, there there's a there's an industry of right wing pundits waiting to do exactly that, and I don't yeah. want to give them any any help. So well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, I think we're on the same page uh, on that. Yeah. What do you think about, um, you know, when you say you don't want to demonize yourself about being able to work around children? Do you work around children? Uh, at the uh, at the moment, no, I don't. Um, I don't think I, I would want a job that was like specifically having to do with children, you know, like a elementary school teacher or something but that's just because that doesn't sound like a particularly interesting job to me personally but uh i see here's what here's how i have difficulty um believing that if you well no i mean i believe you but it's it's also hard for me to understand or relate to the fact that um you know you're attracted to a certain group this is just like natural in you. Would you not want to work towards putting yourself around that group more? Well, I mean, no. Would that not be interesting to you? Why would that not be interesting? It wouldn't be 
I would never describe it as interesting because the two scenarios are that either I can successfully like turn this off and ignore it while I'm at work, in which case I, it would you know just be doing a job, or I can't, in which case I would feel just like these constant stabs of like guilt and self hatred. So either way, it's not that's not a situation I would ever want to put myself in. That's not it's not fun. Yeah, I. I... I guess I can understand that. Um, do you think that there was something in your early childhood that might have contributed to this? Or I mean, now they're starting to say it's neurological and, and it's in the brain. But then I've heard other people say that victims of child abuse can also fall into that. So I don't really know. It's so taboo to research this stuff. The funding is so taboo that we know so little about it, which is a place to start. Like we should definitely know more about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we don't understand the epidemiology of it, then we can't take steps to reduce this, you know. So. Yeah. But uh, as far as my own case, uh, I am not aware of having ever been the victim of childhood sexual abuse. I don't think that ever happened. Uh, I, the only reason I'm, I'm not saying it definitely never happened is that, you know, potentially I could have blocked out the memory or something, but I really don't think it did. And uh, I really can't think of any, like, traumatic events or, you know, moments that could have been the origin of this. I think I developed sexually earlier than most other people did so maybe that has something to do with it but uh but yeah no no trauma that i'm aware of okay i mean i i've read some research that says um you know pedophiles are more likely to be left-handed or uh slightly shorter that um sex offenders um are likely to have lower iqs that doesn't you know, apply to you, but it's just something that I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just very little out there. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it's funny because I'm right-handed and slightly taller than average. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I have a below average IQ, so. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, what concerns me is how many people are out there that we just have no idea about. How many people have committed suicide that we have no idea why they did it. You know, um, I read this piece by someone called Robert T. Muller, and here's a quote from it. As an under-researched population, it is hard to know the precise number of non-offending pedophiles. Michael Sato, the director of University of Ottawa's Forensic Research Unit, estimates that up to 9% of men have fantasized about having sex with a prepubescent child. It is now believed that approximately 1% to 5% of men identify as a pedophile. Um, I mean, if 9% of men, if that's accurate, 9% of men have fantasized about having sex with a child, that's, that's quite a lot of people among us. Yeah, it is. But honestly, those numbers don't seem inflated to me. Like, that seems reasonable. Like, there are a lot of subtle ways in which uh advertisers sort of play to this sometimes and so like i think it's you know it's common enough that uh you know marketing professionals have have taken note of it so that didn't really shock me that's a really scary angle of course i noticed that that you know people market the uh, very young looking women but Playing to actual pedophiles is not something that I had taken seriously, but you, now that you say that, definitely I can see it. I mean, American Apparel ads feature like very, very young-looking girls. To think that they're actually appealing to men who like really underage women, if that's a conscious decision on their part, it's awful. I mean, yeah. there's a, what's her name? Kat Von D. She's like a tattoo artist. Yeah, yeah. She had a lipstick line where one of the lipsticks was called Lolita. And I think there was an underage red. That's an actual title. That's horrifying. Yeah. She gave a terrible non-pology for using that, you know. Um, Yeah. You're probably going to get put on a watch list for your search history. I know. (laughs) I was... I was really worried about that, actually. I was Googling all sorts of stuff, and then I started to get scared. 
that yeah. I was Googling this stuff, but I had to like look into some research, but I, it's so taboo that I'm even afraid to look up articles in psychology papers about this. And um, I put this up on my Patreon uh, where I asked my patrons for feedback on how they would feel it for, about me having this conversation. And some people emailed me because they didn't want to write under the post. Just feedback, you know? Yeah. Um, that's that's really how much I think that we need to be having these conversations so that at least people are okay to look at research and look at um, what's causing these things, think about that, and try to address it. Here are some quotes uh, from people who emailed me about me talking to you. Surprisingly, most of the response was very positive. So I'm well, that glad. that speaks well of your audience. Yeah. The point for me is this. We absolutely can't normalize this kind of thing. You know that. I know that. But there has just been a huge scandal in the UK, where I'm from, in which hundreds of people have come out and said that they were abused by their football coaches when they were younger. That reminds me again that these things don't go away if we don't talk about them. They get pushed into deeper and darker places. If your conversation with this person were to encourage one person to get help instead of acting on an urge and saved one child, would that be worth it? If I stopped one person who has these urges from killing themselves to stop feeling the shame associated with it, would that be worth it? I can't answer those questions, and I'm sure there are also other darker questions with opposite results that would need to be answered when considering whether or not to do this. Another quote was, Of course it's right to treat them differently for something they didn't choose to the extent that they are dangerous. Yikes. And another one was, society needs to learn how to draw a distinction between A, being attracted to children, and B, molesting children. One is involuntary, the other is voluntary. One is disturbing, the other evil. We seem to think of them as the same thing and treat them with the same scorn, which cannot possibly help people who find themselves attracted to children to be able to seek help. We may feel the urge to express our outrage and disgust simply at the attraction, but if suppressing that urge can actually help to protect children, then that's clearly what we need to do. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I mostly agree. The uh, Even with the person who said, like, we should treat people different to the extent that they're dangerous, uh, the... The only issue I, I would take with, I guess, you know, the, the harsher and probably much more common stance is that I don't know that it's it's the most effective way to prevent assaults, because I, I think it's, it's almost certainly better if people can come forward and get help than if, like, all they see on all sides is, the, is like, demonization to such a degree that, like, they can't even admit that they have these feelings to themselves. You know, that's yeah. that seems like a recipe for disaster. So, like, the only thing I would want is that it, we're able to have clinical style conversations about this publicly and that people feel comfortable seeking help privately. So, really, I, I don't have a problem with any of those messages. I'm just worried about pragmatics. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm in a place where I can have a completely clinical discussion about this. Do you? Um, I, I mean, objectively, I, I know I can't have a completely clinical conversation about this because it, it affects me and it's still something that I, I get emotional about, uh, sometimes very emotional. I've had some, some, uh, really bad nights thinking about these issues, but, uh, so no, but I would say that I try to have as clinical a conversation as I can. Okay. Um, now, a lot of people mention depression and, and suicidal thoughts when discussing this topic. Uh, would you say that you suffer from depression? or? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm currently uh, medicated for depression. I don't think that it originates. It, I don't think I, I'm depressed because I have these desires. I, I'm 
a lot of people in my family are depressed. I think it's it's genetic, but it definitely doesn't help. You know, it's it's something that uh, depressed me can sort of use to beat myself up with. So mm-hmm. yeah, that 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 is a problem, and they do connect, even though I don't think they're, you know, one one doesn't come from the other. You keep um, talking about this as being pretty manageable for you. So do you think that maybe uh, in you it is? Uh, I guess it's something that takes over less of you than it does uh, other people. Like you have a lesser degree of this because I haven't, when I spoke to the other guy, he did not sound like it was, it it didn't sound like it was as manageable for him as it is for you. However, he wanted complete normalization and he wanted it to be, he's, you know, rationalized it and looked into it and, you seem to have stayed away from it. As you say, you prefer to keep this part of you locked up, but you do seem to be confident that it doesn't affect your day-to-day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's uh, one way in which, you know, my situation might not be applicable, you know, like conclusions about my situation might not be applicable to other people. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm non-exclusive, so... That takes a lot of the pressure off, and uh, you're right in that it's not something that is like constantly, you know, hanging around in the back of my head or whatever. It doesn't really affect my day to day life that much. It's just, uh, you know, it's it can be sort of triggered situationally, and then you know I just sort of like blink my eyes and, and you know get on with my life. But uh, but yeah, there there I'm sure there are people out there for whom. Uh, you know, I know there are people who are exclusive, so that raises a whole host of other problems since they basically have to be sexually inactive for their entire life. And uh, also, I'm sure there are people for whom it's it's a it's a much stronger compulsion. And I, you know, those are the people who I think uh, really should be encouraged to uh, get psychological help. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing here is that you're non-exclusive, so you can have meaningful sexual relationships, whereas someone who is exclusively a pedophile, they would never be able to act on their sexual desires. It would be completely immoral for them to do so. And that must be a hard thing to live with. But I... Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it's... that would be much worse. The The only thing I would say, and uh, this this will be something I'm interested to get your thoughts on, uh, even in that case, uh, the case of an exclusive pedophile with, uh, with very strong compulsions, I would not want to institute a policy of mandating therapy purely for pragmatic reasons, because I think that that will prevent people from admitting their condition, right? If they're going to be, if they're, they know they're going to be forced to be institutionalized. Right. But what, what would you recommend that like, so people come forth and tell the doctor or whatever that they have these really strong desires and compulsions to act on this, but we can't mandate anything. Then what do we do? Um, I, I think it's, it's perfectly fine for, uh, people like that and even people like me to be profiled by law enforcement, like meaning that not that we're, you know, arrested for anything we didn't do, but just that like they pay disproportionate attention to us. I just think that's rational. You know, I, I, I don't know about airport security, but definitely in terms of like, you know, what the FBI does, I largely follow Sam Harris's line that we should use whatever statistical information we have to, focus our attention. And in this case, that lands squarely on me. So I think that's reasonable. Uh, I think, you know, noticing if people stop going to their therapy is reasonable. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's Internet legal searches right now. and stuff? Watching? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But then that would get me into trouble for all sorts of things because, I mean, the kinds of people that I talk to, I'm searching like ISIS and I'm searching non-offending pedophile and terrorism (laughs) and I have the worst searches in the world. Right. Well, I mean, as long as it's just like they're like, you know, whoever's watching is might pay more attention. 
I, that doesn't bother me that much. I don't know. Maybe that bothers you. Like there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, privacy absolutists or they value it for its well, own no, sake. Well, no, I don't have really anything to hide, so it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. I mean, if you look into my work, you'll see why I'm searching these things all the time. So that's pretty self-explanatory, sure. but it would scare me if they threw me in jail for searching these things, definitely, because I'm not a terrorist nor a pedophile. So. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't think they should. I definitely don't want to imply that I'm saying that, like, anyone should be jailed preemptively for crimes. Yeah, yeah, they, no, you weren't they, saying they, that at all. But yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to just trying to think of the ways that that could be a problem. However, I I'm completely in favor of it as well, because obviously these people that fit that profile do need to be paid a little more attention to. Sure. Especially. And you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a criminologist, but I'm sure that someone out there has put together, you know, a suite of additional warning signs. You know what I mean? Like if someone does this, they get on the basic watch list and this behavior is indicative that, you know, they're more likely to offend or they're about to offend or something. So, you know, I just think that we should use the the best, uh, you know, social science we have to try and catch these people ideally before they do anything. But, uh, but you know, you, you talk about alcohol a lot so when we talked before on the internet and we used to have you know fruitful discussions about religion and politics and stuff so this is actually one of the reasons why i'm talking to you is because i've known you if you were just some anonymous internet guy that approached me and said that you were a non-offending pedophile i don't know if i would revisit this conversation because the first one was hard enough for me as it is but because I've had good discussions with you and I've trusted you and you've been a a very likable person. It was something that I uh, really wanted to to readdress with a different sort of non-offending pedophile. And it's even more confusing for me, to be honest with you, because, I mean, right now you're only someone that I know online. I don't know how I would be if you were a real-life friend. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that makes me a bad person or... You know, I, I completely understand that you cannot control this, but would I be and just laughing the same way with you, having drinks with you, while knowing this about you? I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, I I take a very, like, individualistic approach to friendship, so, like, I don't think anybody owes me friendship, and it doesn't bother me to hear you say that that might be a problem for you, you know? But at the same time, I recognize that it's very sad that someone would feel that way uh, about someone who's done nothing wrong and who's not. So there's this mixed feelings and confusion in my brain that I I simply can't, I don't have answers for. I mean, if Mm -hmm. I was in the position where one of my close friends came out to me, then maybe I would have answers for, um, but I don't. Sure. So, so you've talked about alcohol, and you often say that you know you're drinking or you're uh, you're drunk, or you've mentioned that you're an alcoholic. Now, you know you think this is a manageable thing, mm-hmm. but what if you know being an alcoholic, you're very very drunk, and you're not in control as much as you should be? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's a, a totally reasonable question. I guess I would say the. Uh primary reason why I don't think that would ever be an issue is because I'm never drunk around children, you know. Do you make a conscious effort not to be? Yeah, and I don't think I would be anyway, just because I I would feel strange being that inebriated around somebody impressionable. But yes, I do make a conscious effort to to not be intoxicated around children. So, um, you know, you're not the kind of alcoholic that just gets up and starts drinking. No, no, it's, it's, it's in the evenings for me. Uh, it's just that, you know, it's most evenings and a lot. (laughs) Okay. Um, I still feel kind of dissatisfied. Like what if there was like a Christmas party or something and there were kids there and you were drunk, you know, it could, it could happen. I, I, I suppose, I mean, it, it could happen that I would end up at a Christmas party and, you know, have more than I should and there could be kids there but I really don't think that like 
I don't know if there's a level of drunk I can get to where I just like lurch at people like an animal. You know? Right. Like, and and like, I feel almost stupid thinking that, right? Because I wouldn't think that about any other group. It's it's understandable though. I mean, like you know, you hear somebody has a problem that they have to control, and then they have another behavior that inhibits their control. So I I totally get how you got there, but yeah, I mean, I I I, I I'm still you know a human being even when I'm intoxicated. I completely understand, um, and I don't. I mean, <laughs> this is going to be a recurring theme. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, when I was like six, I was a victim of mild child abuse myself. I've written about it. I'll add the link for anyone who wants to, to read that. I mean, I, it's hard for me to go into details, even though it was so, so mild compared to what I hear. Like it was a family doctor that my parents completely trusted and, you know, he had a separate examination room and a separate, like, office where my parents would wait with the siblings. And it was such a confusing situation for me as a child because that's a situation where the doctor does lift your clothes up and does need to. So even if I'm crying, as soon as he does it, I scream and cry. And my mom comes in and I say, you know, he did this or whatever. He brushed his hand there. And he's like, no, no, well, I'm checking her. Of course I have to lift up her shirt. And, you know, but that's not what he was doing. But I didn't have the vocabulary to to say that. Mm. Um, and it was just a confusing situation. So I blocked it out for a very long time. And I didn't even realize that it was abuse till I was in my early 20s. Um, so obviously, this is a topic that's very personal and difficult for me. Um, sure. Yeah. But um, this is why I, I'm open to, to having this discussion, because I... I do think that not discussing it is completely unhelpful to everyone. And, you know, I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've listened to your show for a while and uh, over and over again, you seem to be willing to be the person who has these kinds of very difficult conversations first and take the flack for it. And I think that's in incredibly valuable. So thank you. And, and thank you. I mean, often I find myself wondering why I do put myself in those positions. Uh, but, but yeah. Um, another question I have is you said that you're non-exclusive and you have meaningful relationships with adults. So does that, I mean, do you think about having a family? Uh, sometimes. I mean, uh, I don't know at this point. Uh, it doesn't sound particularly appealing to me right now to quote unquote like settle down. But uh, but what about um, having kids? That's what I'm more right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is that something that's out of the picture for you? I don't think so. Uh, it's not. It's not like I, I I really like want to raise a child right now. But no, it's not something that I consider to be 100 percent out of the picture. And see, that that worries me, though. People have abused their own kids, not saying that you are going to do that or you are that type of person, but this is a very real concern for me when you tell me that you're already attracted to children and that you're an alcoholic and that your kids would be around. Yeah, yeah. And, and that uh, you're not writing it out of the picture. Like, you're open to having kids. Like, I've, t I've heard of other non-offending pedophiles that say they would never want to have kids. Because they sure. don't want to put themselves in that position. Um. Well, there, there's. I don't know to what extent I'm going to be able to reassure you, just because you know I think what you're worried about is is reasonable, and it's just you know it looks different from inside my own head. But uh, the one one thing I would say is that if I was ever going to be responsible for a child, I it would be after I quit drinking. So okay. that's that's one that that would absolutely have to be the case. And um, that's something you want to work towards soon, or? Yeah, yeah, it's something I I, I have quit in the past for fairly extended periods of time. Uh, this most recent time, it was actually uh, election night that knocked me off the wagon. Oh but, no! Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, fucking Donald yeah. Trump, man. Yeah, so you can put that in, you know, thousandth place on the list of things he's damaged. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear it, and I do wish you the best of luck with that. I, I you know, power to you. Go go achieve that. That's a, that's a really good thing. I appreciate it. Um, I'm pretty awkward around kids just because, like, I'm, like, for you know for the obvious reason that you know i'm trying not to you know i'm very aware of like where i am and you know the things i say or whatever so yeah i mean and some of the studies that i came across just seem to be stating the obvious like there was one article i think it was in the daily beast and it cited a study where it said studies study finds pedophiles brains wired to find children attractive do, do we need a study for that? Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the alternative would be. Like, everything about you is something about the wiring of your brain. So, like, Right. Sort of. I mean, I guess they're talking about how that it actually, this has to do with the wiring of your brain rather than just a life experience that may have introduced it uh, into you. So maybe yeah. that's the point they were trying to make, but it was a really silly silly way to put it i found yeah i mean it's the, those like pop science like article titles are yeah. almost mis- misleading as a rule <laughs> yeah yeah um they did cite like um a university of toronto's um professor who seems to be like the leading guy on this research dr james Cantor. he said that he's a previously described pedophilia as a cross wiring of sexual and nurturing instincts and this data that proves that it's in the wiring of the brain neatly verifies that interpretation so so yeah to me just even that is 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 a strange revelation cross wiring of sexual and nurturing instincts like it's yeah does that sound accurate to you does it yeah i mean uh subjectively that could that could be fairly accurate you know i I don't want to try to uh make any scientific claims that i can't back up but but yeah yeah i mean that that could be a fairly accurate description of my situation i mean i of course there's you know we're running into the the same problem people have with horoscopes where you told it to me and now i'm like you know sort of Mm. retrofitting it and being like oh yeah i could see well no this is a researcher uh, saying this versus uh horoscopes are just nonsense sure um but i guess it is vague enough that one could but i have heard this nurturing thing from a few you know when i've watched a documentary or even from the guy that i previously interviewed this nurturing thing really comes up It, it seems to be a theme that that they do feel that that pedophiles feel um, kind of paternal or whatever towards the kids, and they're also sexually attracted to them, which blows my mind as someone on the outside. It these are two instincts that just cannot mix. It makes me sick to even put them together. But if that's what it is, uh, that must be terribly confusing and strange to process, or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 less strange for me, obviously, because I live inside it, so I know what it feels like. But yeah, I mean, like that that really is probably an accurate description of my situation, and it's also like uh, what distinguishes the way in which I'm attracted to adults and people my own age versus you know my uh, attractions to children. Is there you know now that you're saying this, I can sort of see that like. The emotional difference between those two things is probably that like nurturing mm-hmm. cross wiring. Now I've also heard people like, um, you know, just people that are attracted to adults only talk about how they can, well, especially women, talk about how they can mm-hmm. probably just like have sex with another woman, but not necessarily have a relationship. So there's there's that mm. there's that aspect too where is it just sexual or is it an emotional attachment as well uh there is an emotional component in the same way there is with you know other groups of people that okay. i'm attracted okay. to yeah it's not especially cut off from that 
uh, it's different because it, it's, you know, it's not, and it couldn't be like an egalitarian relationship, obviously. So it's got like different emotional overtones, but yeah, yeah it's, there is yeah. sentiment. I mean, earlier you said that um, you were trying to keep it vague about how you get triggered out in the world and the thought comes into your mind, but do you mean like like ads or something more explicit? Like just uh yeah, I mean either ads or just like seeing people. Just or in a non sexual situation mm. that can be arousing? Well, I mean like not like <laughs> again, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to stay away from too explicit of language, but like frankly, like not arousing to the extent that like I would get an erection, but it would just make me think of it, you know, like I I would notice it in the same way that like, if you see someone and you're attracted to them, like you're not instantly just like crippled with lust, but you notice it, you know, it makes you think of it. (laughs) So that's, that's what I meant basically. Cause it's just, it's, you know, in the same way that like we all sort of like pattern match for things we're attracted to like that, Mm -hmm. that happens for me. Um, now you know, one of your complaints about my interview in text with the non-offending pedophile was that I kept interjecting to make these moral judgments and to express my disgust or whatever. And probably that was more um, more exaggerated with him because of his little winky faces and um, little expressions that he thought were cute or whatever that were completely disgusting to me. But I don't know that sure. I have done that I have not done that in this conversation because I too still kept saying that I'm confused I understand what you're saying but I still feel that this would bother me so do you feel that I've done any better in this conversation or it's hard to compare the two because this one is audio so I can hear the inflection in your voice and you know you're you're not you don't sound, you know, angry. You don't sound vindictive. So it comes across very differently than, you know, when I'm, I'm reading something and I mm. have to fill in the emotion myself. But, uh, but no, no, I don't, I don't think I have a problem with anything I've heard you say in this so conversation. So do you feel like we've achieved something or? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, if, if nothing else, uh, it's, it's an example of people, I think, sort of calmly, hopefully rationally discussing these issues, how to deal with them, you know, the variations in the issues, uh, without it just, you know, descending into, uh, you know, vitriol and condemnation. So hopefully that's good. You know, hopefully it can set an example for other people to be able to talk to people in their lives who lives who might have this problem also and, uh, maybe get them help. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. That's something. Would you ever consider going to Germany or does that appeal to you? They have that Dunkelfeld project. Um, I could imagine circumstances under which I would consider it, but, uh, my situation would have to get a lot worse than it is. Like right now I'm, and again, I totally understand if people can't trust this because they, they can't, you know, live inside my head, but I'm really, really not concerned about me assaulting anyone right now but if if that ever changed then yeah i mean i would try to seek help here first obviously because i I don't speak german but uh if i if that's what Mm. i had to do i would okay um well i'll add a link to to the dunkelfeld stuff or an article that links to it for anyone that's interested in looking and i do wish you the best i hope that there's no problems in in controlling this stuff for you and that if you need help that you get that you get the help that you need if you need support that you get the support that you need and um really thank you for allowing me to try to understand this better from a non-expert perspective thank you very much for being willing to talk to me i mean it uh it means a lot that you would uh, give me this uh, this this platform and let me get my perspective out there. So, You're welcome. You. I hope now you don't feel that um, you know the only representation I've put out is one that is misrepresenting you or a caricature. 
that was not my intent. That was really the only person I had access to. Absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, I, I was honestly impressed that you responded to my message at all. I would have completely understood if you didn't want to talk to me. So, uh, no, no, I think it's, uh, shows a lot of integrity that you were willing to have such a difficult kind of conversation again, just to sort of set the record straight. Do you think that people who have more of a problem controlling the surge should be open to libido reducing medication? Is that something that is inhumane in your view or something that is helpful? Um, I, for the same reason that I'm against mandating therapy, I would be yeah. against mandating it, uh, only not because it wouldn't be helpful, but just because it would reduce turnout. You know, people would just keep this to themselves. But yeah, I mean, it, like that's, it seems like something one should be open to and that, you know, it's perfectly reasonable for, for your doctor to at least recommend because if all of your sexual desires are inherently problematic, then just turning all of that, turning the intensity on all of that down seems mm -hmm. like a reasonable thing to do. I don't know how I would feel if someone was, was telling me to do that. So, you know, maybe it's easier said yeah. than, than applied. But. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it feels like, but I also can imagine why someone would want to recommend that to you or anyone, even though you say that you don't have an issue, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. so again, I find myself in a strange position, but, um, I think that, uh, maybe some people need to reconsider the idea that this is a behavior that can be eliminated or changed and thought, think of it as a, behavior that is uh that can be managed or reduced because if it's true as they say in the studies that i was looking at that it's in the wiring of your brain how can you just make it go away i if we keep researching maybe we can find a way to make it go away but mm -hmm. till we find that way we have to focus on how we can manage this best, how we can make it best for everyone and protect children. And silence on this, no research on this, no support offered on this is definitely not the way forward. Absolutely. Especially if, uh, you know, up to this is an issue that affects up to 9% of men. I mean, this is something that really we need the full force of our public conversation on and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll get there. All right. Well, I guess we'll, we'll end it here and thanks again for chatting. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of polite conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it or contributing via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help.